Good morning. Good to see everyone here this morning. I know we have some that are traveling, but it's good that you've all made an effort to be here to worship God with us this morning. I hope I have something to say that might benefit you in some way. What I have been given to talk about is a very, very broad subject. So we're going to do our best to break it down into a very small thing. I can't speak this morning, so if I have any problems, I apologize. But what Brother Yancey read to us this morning, if you just read it at its face value, you think, oh, that's just another Christian being persecuted. That's somebody teaching God being persecuted. That's all that is, and that was very common in the day. But as Paul Harvey says, you don't know the rest of the story. You don't know the story that happened before. You don't know the story that happened after. I, I declare to you, that is the start of the ministry of the most important person to people like us. This man later became known as the apostle to the Gentiles. That's who he taught. And that was people that were not of the Jewish faith. Those are the people he spent time with. Those are the people he taught about Jesus and what he did for us. Others did it. Others taught Gentiles. Peter did. I believe we're going to hear Brother Dusty talk about Cornelius. But Paul was the one that took it to a whole new level. And that right there was the, what Brother Yancey read to us this morning was the beginning, beginning of that ministry. But what makes it so amazing is the rest of Paul's life. And that's what I've been tasked with speaking on this morning from the book of Acts is the life of Paul. Now, if you don't know this, roughly half of the book of Acts deals with the life of Paul. We're not going to read half of the book of Acts this morning. What we're going to do, we're going to take some things that Paul said about himself, that Acts tells us about Paul, and that history tells us about Paul. That is very well highly accepted. The history part, you can take it or leave it. But what's in the Bible is what I really want you to get out of this. So this morning, we're going to look at the life of the Apostle Paul. And when you look at this life, I told you Acts is a very faith-affirming book. To me, there is no greater faith-affirming story than the story of the Apostle Paul. And by the end of this, I hope you will see that, that this is one of the most faith-affirming stories you will find in the Bible. Well, well let's look at Paul. What, ha- what, what was Paul's early life like? Where did he come from? Where did he grow up at? What did, what did his parents do? Well, history tells us that he was born between 5 B.C. and 5 A.D. in Tarsus. Now, there's a 10-year gap there. That's, that's their best estimate on his life and things they found out about it. So that's what history tells us. Now, if you want to believe he's born some other time, that's up to you. But this is what history tells us. And Tarsus was a major city and was now called Turkey. Tarsus in the time of Alexander the Great, which was about 532 B.C. to about 432 B.C. I know Alexander the Great didn't rule all of that time. But it was considered one of the major cities in the world. It was tops on the list. It had the best university in the world. This is where Paul was born. Now, when he was born, it had had lost some of its luster. It was a Roman province at the time. But what is really amazing is he was a Roman citizen. We learned that in Acts 16 and 37. Now, he was also a Jew, though, so how did that work? Rome did not just bestow citizenship on anybody. Unless you were born in Rome, it was really hard to get citizenship into Rome. What many historical people believe... Paul was a tent maker. They believe his father was a tent maker. And they believe 
Some historians, now you can take this for what it's worth, believe that Paul's father built tents for the Roman army. And that was how his father was bestowed citizenship. There's other stories out there, but that's the most popular one. But that was a big thing. We're going to see that throughout Paul's life, that he leaned on being a Roman citizen very much in his life. That was something that not everybody could claim. That's something that Peter couldn't claim. Peter can't claim, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. Big thing at the time, because that's who ruled the world was Rome. He was a Pharisee. In Philippians 3 and 5, he tells him that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I touched the law as a Pharisee. Now, Brother Luke talked to us about some of the other religious sects of the day. Paul belonged to the Pharisees, as Saul of Tarsus. That's what he was. He was a Pharisee. Now, if you remember what Brother Luke said, Pharisees did believe in the resurrection of the dead. But we'll find out later why he didn't believe Christ in here in just a second. He trained under the great Gamaliel in Acts 22 and verse 3. Gamaliel was considered the rabbi of the day. He was the man that the Jews went to when they had a problem. At a very young age, he was sent to train under Gamaliel. Now, if you know anything about the the apostles Peter and John were brought before the Jewish people at the time, and they were trying to decide what kind of punishment they were going to give them for teaching about God and Jesus. Well, Gamaliel stood up and said, you know what? If this religion's of men, it's going to pass away on its own. But if it's of God, you cannot stop it. That's a pretty wise guy. That's who Paul trained under. Paul probably would have done well to listen to him on that fact, but Paul didn't. Because as we read in Acts 7, he took an active part in the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Whenever the people that stoned him brought their feet to, brought their clothes to the man it was Saul that they brought him to. Here, hold our clothes while we stone this guy. Basically what happened. And Saul was all for it. You know why Saul was all for it? Because every other Pharisee at the time, they did not believe Jesus Christ was the Son of God. They did not believe he was resurrected from the dead. They thought he was a blasphemer, that he claimed to be something he wasn't, that he was a liar. And that's what Saul thought. Because every Pharisee of the day thought there was going to be a man come and set up a physical kingdom in Jerusalem. That's what every Pharisee of the day almost that I've read about in history believed. There was going to be a physical kingdom and that kingdom was going to take over the Roman Empire. And this man that died on a cross, that can't be him or else we're doomed. That can't be him. And if you read what he says of, his, of himself in Galatians 1, 13 and 14, he says he persecuted the church. That's something he, he wanted. You know what? There's a, I don't know how many of you have watched the Bible. It was a miniseries. And I believe the attitude that Paul showed whenever he was going to Damascus is exactly what Paul thought he was doing. He said, I don't know why, the, the actor said, I don't know why these Christians run from me. I'm trying to save them from the judgment of God. Paul thought he was doing what God wanted him to do. He thought that God wanted him to punish people that were going away from the Jewish traditions. And he made havoc of the church. But consequently, him doing that caused the church to spread like fire. Because whenever they all departed Jerusalem trying to get away from him, they went everywhere teaching the word. Trying to get away from persecutors like Paul. They went everywhere teaching the word. 
And it just grew and grew to where nobody could contain it, not even Paul himself. Well, let's talk about his later life, because we know that's not the end of Paul. That can't be what Paul was, if he's the most important person, one of the most important person people to our faith. He begins preaching, Jesus is the Son of God. What? In the reading, Brother Yancey goes, this is not the guy that persecuted them and was bringing them back to Damascus to face trial because they were worshiping Jesus? And yet in Damascus, he's teaching Jesus is the Son of God? Not only that, whenever he gets back to Jerusalem, the disciples don't believe him. They're like, he's tricking us. He's trying to get us arrested. He's trying to get us in trouble. He's trying to infiltrate us from the inside. He's undercover. But he believes, he begins preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. He takes three missionary journeys all around Asia Minor. We can't get into those this morning. They're in the later, latter, latter half of Acts. I encourage you, if you have not read that, to read it. It's a great history lesson on the establishment of the church in Asia Minor with people like us that weren't necessarily Jews. But he went on three missionary journeys. The total mileage of those missionary journeys was 7,938 miles. That's a lot of walking. See, you got to remember, they didn't have cars like we do today. They couldn't drive 800, 1,000 miles in a day if you really want to drive that far. They couldn't do it. Now, his missionary journeys got longer as as they got... The first one was the shortest, the second was a little bit longer, and the third was the longest. What many historical people believe is, by that point, the church was established enough that he had enough money to pay ship fare, and he was able to go on ships, which cut down on some of the time that it took. But still, 7,000 miles in a ship ain't ain't much fun, I could imagine, because they don't have those cruise liners that Mike and Carrie are out on this morning. They They didn't have those back then. Mainly, it was you were either finding a shipping vessel or a shipping company that was going to where you were going and you paid to get, take a ride on most of them. They did have a few passenger ships, but they were very pricey at the time. He took part in the Council of Jerusalem. Now, if you read about the Council of Jerusalem in Acts, what they were doing there, they are meeting in Jerusalem to talk about whether these Gentiles that have been converted to Jesus Christ need to be circumcised. Now, Paul being a Pharisee, you think, yeah, they need to be circumcised. That's our covenant between God. No, he took the other side of it. He, 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 he basically said that, that law has been abolished. We, we live under a new law. And we have a circumcision of the heart. Paul talked about that many times in his letters. The circumcision of the heart made without hands. There's a Pharisee saying you don't have to be circumcised to be a child of God. You tell me the Jewish leaders of the day were not, were not going crazy about, about this guy? He was one of us a minute ago, and now he's telling people that they don't even have to do our basic covenant with God. The thing that every Jew knows on the eighth day, the male child is supposed to be circumcised, he's teaching against that? He was. He guides the elders at Ephesus. I know Matt's going to talk a little bit about what Paul had to say to the elders a little bit later in our study of the book of Acts. I'm not going to go into exactly what he told them. But here's a man that was wanting to destroy the church, teaching elders what to do to preserve it. Now that had to be a shock. 
These guys are saying, okay, you weren't destroyed, but now you're teaching us what we need to do to preserve this church that God has made you an elder of. And that's what he did. He had conversations with elders on those points, trying to make sure that the church survived. That was his goal there. To make sure the church survived. Now, I'm not going to go into any detail on that because I believe Brother Matt's going to cover that. But that was a big part. That was a big turn. That he was wanting to destroy the church. Now he's making sure it, want, it survives. He suffers hardships for God. I did not grab my Bible. I want to read a couple of verses. You know, Paul put the Christians in, in the early days in a lot of bad situations, made them suffer a lot of great things. But if you look in 2 Corinthians... And we're going to Second Corinthians chapter eleven. This is Paul writing here to Corinth, chapter eleven. We're going to start in verse twenty. For you put up with it if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes you from from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you in the face. To our shame, I say that we were too weak for that. But I am whatever anyone is bold. I speak foolishly. I am bold also. Are the Hebrews, so am I. They are Israelites, so am I. They are seed of Abraham, I. They are ministers of Christ. I speak as a fool. I am more, I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in, in deaths often. From Jews, five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten. With rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. In weariness I toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. That's a lot of stuff he went through. To preach the word of God. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He, they tried to stone him and didn't get the job done. His own people. He had to run away from Tarsus from the Jews. Because they were teaching about Jesus. The, the, the disciples said, we'll send him home. Surely they won't kill him there. Surely they won't kill him in his own hometown, so we'll send him back to Tarsus. Wow. A man wanting to destroy the church, all of a sudden taking all that because of the church? He was arrested in Jerusalem in 57 A.D. They finally got him. He came back to Jerusalem to meet with the disciples. And the Jews arrested him for teaching Jesus. So finally they arrested him. Finally he was put into bonds. He appealed to Caesar in 59 AD. In about 58 AD, the, the Jews were still trying to put him on trial again. But here comes the kicker. As a Roman citizen, he was able to appeal to Caesar. So in 59 A.D., he formally appealed to Caesar. 
his death. Now, as Brother Yancey said, we don't know a lot about his death. Everything I have on this death slide is what history tells us. Because the Bible doesn't tell us anything really about his death. History says he was put to death anywhere from 64 A.D. to 68 A.D., that four-year window. Now, what some the people that believe he was killed closer to 64 A.D. believe he never got out of prison when he went to go see Caesar. They believe Nero had him killed right then. The people that lean more towards 68 A.D. believe as a Roman citizen he was probably beaten and then released, given a warning not to do that anymore, and then he went into Spain and other parts of Britain and taught was arrested again and brought before Nero again. Now, that, that's just according to what, histori- his, what historian you believe. They say they have some evidences that he was in Spain from between about 65 to 67 A.D., but everything I looked at, it didn't say the Apostle Paul. It was Paul teaching. It could have been another Paul. I don't know. It just depends on which historian you believe on that point. Now, here are some things all historians agree on. History said he was beheaded by the sword. That's what everybody agrees on. There's not one historian I've heard that said any other thing. Now, maybe you have one that I haven't heard, I haven't looked up, I don't know. Now, the thing that a lot of people point to is Simon Peter was, was also killed throughout this time frame. Hey, well, he was crucified upside down. How did Paul avoid that? Key, Roman citizen. They didn't crucify Roman citizens unless they had absolute evidence that they did something wrong. I mean, you had to have eyewitness testimony. You had to have, I mean, you had to have it ironclad before a Roman citizen got crucifixion. What most people believe is he became more of a nuisance to Nero, so Nero decided to go ahead and kill him so that way he could get rid of him. He be, they didn't think Nero was really threatened by him, but he became a nuisance. And everybody agrees he was killed under the reign of Nero. And that's why 68 AD would be the latest day he could be killed. Because Nero committed suicide in summer of 68 A.D. So that would be the latest he could have been uh, offered. As historians say. So whether you believe he got out, whether you believed he was freed, all historians believe he was beheaded by the sword and that it was at least had to be done by summer of 68 A.D. That's what all historians agree on. Now that's neither here nor there. That's just what the history of martyrdom tells us of what happened to him. But what I want to ask, what happened to turn his life around 180 degrees? That's a big turnaround. From going to destroy the church to dying for it. What happened? Why did he start his ministry there in Acts 9 and 20? Why did he start going through these hardships? Why was he willing to be beaten and stoned, shipwrecked, afraid of his own countrymen? Why was he willing to go through all that if it's all a lie? He'd be the perfect one to turn around and say, oh, it's all, I'm just preaching false doctrine here. Because he never believed it to begin with. He believed Jesus was a blasphemer and a liar. That's what he believed when he started out. It would have been easy for him to turn around and say, oh, I'm just lying here. <laughs> Nothing really happened. But what Yancey didn't read is what happened in the first part of chapter Acts chapter 9. And that's what we're going to get into right now. This is where we're going to spend most of the rest of the time we have this morning is the conversion of Paul. You know, this is one of the most fascinating conversion cases you can read in the Bible. 
Because number one, Paul, whenever he was on his way to Damascus, he had went to the high priest and said, I want letters that I can bring back any Christian bound. That way they can stand trial in Jerusalem. That's what I want to do. So the high priest gave him letters to go do that. Well, while he was on his way to Damascus, a bright light shone upon him and it blinded him. And he heard a voice. And he said, who is it? Lord, who is it? And he said, it's Jesus Christ whom you persecute. And that shook him to the bone. That's what happened to him. If you want to know what turned Paul's life around, that's what turned it around right there. His wasn't a... He saw Jesus Christ resurrected and it blinded him. You know what? We cannot come in contact with Jesus and be the same afterwards. You're either going to be for the better or for the worse. Because either you're going to accept Jesus or you're going to deny Jesus. If you deny Him, you're for the worse. If you accept Him, you're for the better. Well, the Spirit told him to go into Damascus and all will be told what he must do. So the men that were with him, when he woke up, he he blind, he couldn't see anything. So the man led him to Damascus. Well, the Spirit of the Lord came unto Ananias, who was living in Damascus at the time. And he said, Ananias, I want you to go into the street, which is called Straight, and look for, look, uh, look for Paul, Saul of Tarsus. Saul is what he said. For he prayeth. And Ananias goes, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> this guy has letters to take us back, possibly to be beaten, possibly worse in Jerusalem. And you want me to go talk to this guy about Jesus? Are we on the same page here, God? You know what Jesus told Ananias? He goes, go for he is a chosen vessel to me. To speak before kings, Gentiles, Jews, and everyone else in the world. He's a chosen vessel of mine. And I'm going to show him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Paul did. Paul suffered. For the name of Jesus. And he was a chosen vessel to God. Because you know what? With all those changes that happened in the Apostle Paul, there are a lot of changes that didn't happen. He was still very zealous in the Word of God. To work for God. He was religious before this happened. He was a religious guy. He was gung-ho for God. And after he came out, he was still gung-ho for God. He was bold. Before Before he was converted, he was bold unto the point of uh, consenting to the stoning of Stephen. He was bold. Afterwards, he was bold in Antioch. Him and Peter came came face to face. Now, who wouldn't have been a fly on the wall in that meeting? When Peter was sitting and eating a meal with Gentile Christians, all of a sudden the Jews walked in and he kind of stepped back. And you know what Paul said? Paul said, I was stood him to the face where he was to be blamed. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not planning on withstanding the Apostle Peter to his face. That's just not something I would want to do. But he was bold afterwards. He was a teacher before. He was a Pharisee. He knew the law. He taught the law. Afterwards, he taught Jesus. And probably his most important trait was he was a leader beforehand, and he was definitely a leader afterhand. He was somebody that you could count on to lead. To lead the churches. To help the churches get through the trouble that was coming at the time. That's who you wanted on your side. You wanted Paul on your side. Because he'd get you through it. 
That's why he was a chosen vessel to God, because God knew what kind of person he was and what kind of values he had. Well, Ananias goes and finds Paul, and he says, Why tarriest thou? Rise and be baptized, washing away thy sins. Paul was baptized for the forgiveness of his sins. He, stayed, he was also fasting at the time, so he got a little bit of food in him, got his strength back up. And then Brother Yancey started in verse 28, immediately he went out and preached God. Jesus Christ was God, the Son of God. He didn't wait. <laughs> he went out immediately and did what God wanted him to do. Well, what do we learn about the story of Paul's conversion? You know, number one, what we can learn is not that not all... Not everybody is going to have the same experience Paul had. Let's just, let's just put, get that out there right now. Not everybody's going to see a bright light and it's going to call them to Jesus. That's not how it's going to work. What his conversion does teach us, though, is that prayer is not for the forgiveness of sins. You know, whenever he was in blind in Damascus in that house, he was praying on a daily basis. He was fasting. He was wanting to know what he needed to do to be saved. And he wasn't saved until he was baptized for the remission of his sins. Prayer will not get it done. Great visions happen without forgiveness of sins. You know, Paul saw a great vision. That, like with Jesus, I mean, that was probably something to be seen. We have people today telling all the time, I'm not going to believe I'm saved until something great like that happens to me. Paul wasn't saved because he had that vision. Paul was saved because he listened to what the vision had to say. Now, I'm not going to say whether people see visions today. I don't know what people, what people see. But I'll tell you today, I know what the Bible says about salvation. And it's not the fact that you have a great vision that you're saved. What does Paul himself tell us about baptism? You know, Paul spoke about baptism a lot in his writings. Let's look in Acts 22 real quick. Acts chapter 22, and we're going to start in verse 16. And this is Paul uh, reaccounting his conversion. And in verse 16, it says, And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash, your sin, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, this is what Ananias told Paul. This is what Paul said Ananias told him. But if you look throughout the rest of that chapter, Paul never denied that was true. Paul never denied that baptism was for the forgiveness of sins. He never denied that. You know what? He could have said, well, that's what Ananias told me, but what really has to happen is you have to do this. But you never see that in Paul, any of Paul's writings. This is the only place where Paul actually says baptism for the forgiveness of sins. The rest of the time, he's talking about being baptized into Christ. We were baptized into Christ in Galatians and Romans. We were baptized into his death. We were baptized into him. Well, don't you want to be a part of Christ? Don't you want to be a part of his body? Well, to get into that body, Paul says you have to be baptized into Christ. That's where the remission of sins comes from. And Paul taught that very plainly. He says, if you want to be a part of the body of Christ, you have to be baptized into the body of Christ. He taught that in Romans. He taught that in Galatians. He used it here when he was talking about his own conversion. 
Paul believed in the power of baptism. Well, what can we learn from all from the story of Paul? Well, number one, all people who do not agree with us religiously aren't doing it because they're just dumb. They're not doing it because they don't want the truth. They think they already have the truth. You know, Paul saw, thought he had the truth when he was making havoc of the church of Christ. He thought the truth was on his side. It took somebody teaching him otherwise. We have to be willing to do that. Because not all of them are willingly ignorant. I believe some of them are. There are some people that today you couldn't convince no matter how much evidence you had on your side. But most of the people that we deal with today believe they have the truth. Are we using our talents in the way God wants us to? You know, I listed off a bunch of talents that Paul had. He was a leader. He was bold. He knew the law of God. He was a teacher. He was a leader. But was he using those talents as Saul the way God wanted him to? No, he was persecuting the church. But after he came in contact with Jesus, he was using those God-given talents exactly the way God wanted him to. He was that chosen vessel and he did everything God asked him to do. He defended himself before kings and he taught, taught the gospel to the poor man on the street. There is no doubt in my mind, we don't have a record of what he said before Caesar. There is no doubt in my mind the story of his conversion was in there somewhere. Because he did it to two other kings, Felix and Agrippa, in Jerusalem. That was in his defense before those two guys. And I know if he went to Caesar, he said something about it. He taught everywhere. And that's something we all strive to do. God has a plan for us. You know, just because you don't see your plan, God gave you talents to fulfill His plan. He gave you talents to fulfill His plan. He had a plan for Paul. He had a plan for Peter. He had a plan for all the disciples. He has a plan for you today. He gave you talents so you could fulfill that plan. The question is, are you willing to use them for that? As I said, he taught, we need to teach everyone about God. Paul did that. No matter who he came in contact with, I guarantee you the story of Jesus Christ came up somehow. <laughs> you ever met somebody that could always bring the subject back to something? I guarantee you that was Paul with Jesus. Anytime the subject changed, he could bring it right back to Jesus with something else. Because if you look at the book of Acts, there's no way that that's not what happened. <clears throat> and the reason we teach God to everyone is because as Ananias learned, God can use anybody for his cause. Even a man, a man who was determined to destroy his church. He can make him the most important apostle, one of the most important apostles in a segment of his church's life. Because he spread the word outside the Jews like nobody else. Sure, they all did it. But as I said, Paul took it to the next level. He traveled over 7,000 miles teaching people about God. And that was the man that wanted to destroy him. He went over 10,000 miles, if you count his journey to Rome, for his appeal to Caesar. Now, whether he won that appeal, I don't know. But I do know this. 
History says he was willing to die for it. Are we committed? Are we committed to the cause of Christ? You know, it's easy in the United States to say, yeah, we're committed. We're not really facing any real persecution yet. I believe it could be coming. But as of right now, we're not facing any real persecution. You know, it's a lot easier to say that here than it is over in Nigeria or India. Yeah, I'm committed. You know, you always hear the story of the chicken and the egg. That's my one of my uh, the chicken and the pig, as my football coach used to tell me. Are you going to be involved with this team? Or are you going to be committed? Because yeah, the chicken takes part in your breakfast by giving you the egg, but the pig's committed. He gives you his life for that sausage. Is that where we're at? Are we committed to the cause? And we need to remember one thing. We need to use our talents the way God wants us to. You know, when I'm training people to drive our buses, the first thing I always tell them is beware of the eye in the sky. <laughs> we got a camera right on you, so you're not going to be able to deny anything that you do. And God's got his eye on each and every one of us, and we can't deny if we're not using his talents the way he wanted us to. We're not going to be able to deny it. There's a lot more we can learn from the Apostle Paul, but I can't go into all of that this morning or else we'd be here for a long, long time. I encourage you to read the last half of the book of Acts if you haven't. It will build your faith like no other. To see what this man who once persecuted the church of God did for the church of God and was willing to do for the church of God. It will build your faith. And it will go on how the church grew at that time. And like I said, there's many other things we can talk about. Maybe some guys will have some applications and they'll go into some deeper things on Paul. But what I wanted to do this morning was just give you the overview of his life. A life he spent in two totally different ways. The first part of his life, he was an enemy of God. And I believe in the second part of his life, he was one of the strongest allies God's ever had. So you may be sitting out there this morning and not be on God's side. But we can change that this morning. And then you can become one of his strongest allies if you so choose. I encourage you to make your decision as we stand and sing.